Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Yeah, and my sobriety date is July 29, 2014. Um, but Oops, thank you so sorry. much, Daniel. No, no, no. It's okay, brother. I'd like to take a minute and do my set-aside prayer because I really do want to uh, get out of the way and hopefully let God work through me. So God, please set aside everything I think I know about you, about me, about the 12 steps, essay, living life, and especially spiritual matters. So I can have an open mind for a new experience with all these things and just help me see your truth today. Amen. Well, I am Dennis, a grateful recovering sexaholic. And boy, did I come from a a past that I don't really care to share because I don't think it's important, but I couldn't stop. Um, I tried since I was 12 years old broke every boundary uh, in an attempt to try and find a stronger relief. None of it worked. I've I've loved God since I was six years old and had a, a personal relationship. I knew God loved me. And for some reason, I couldn't figure out why God wouldn't take this away. And I had begged a thousand times. Um, other areas in my life, he was always there. But in this area, he wasn't. And I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> So I came into this program completely broken, man. I was meeting with two to three people a week, which I absolutely detested, but could not do. And when I came into this program, I started going through the step work and I seen this section on we agnostics. And I thought, well, I certainly don't need that chapter. Um, I have a very strong faith tradition. I have a very strong belief in God, but that belief availed me nothing. And I love on page 20 where it says that, I had a belief in God without surrender because I didn't know what it meant to surrender. And I didn't know what was blocking me and keeping me from that. You know, I thought I was very connected. I came in and I learned that I have an allergy that if I take any lust, I'm talking a look or any kind of um, a thought that I entertain, that I'm going to trigger the phenomenon of craving. That lust isn't bad or wrong or good or bad or sinful lust for me is just harmful and i cannot afford to take any into my system at all but i also have an uh, an obsession of the mind that will it convince me and i didn't know why it was trying to convince me that it's okay to take that next look or to take that next drink to entertain that thought it was just trying to take care of me because i was suffering so bad um, so I had a an allergy of the body, an obsession of the mind. And the other part of step one says that my life was unmanageable. I always thought the unmanageability came from the consequences of my acting out. But the unmanageability came, and what it really ties into this, we agnostics, is because I couldn't manage my life. And the part of my life, I was very successful in parts of my life. But the parts of my life on page 52 is the parts that I couldn't manage that were always I'm always having trouble with. And it says, in were we having trouble with our personal relationships? Man, I couldn't be present with people. I was isolated, a loner. 
uh, I couldn't control my emotional natures. And I needed to medicate for that alone. Um, that I was prey to misery and depression constantly. And I couldn't make a living. I did pretty well making a living, but it definitely affected my living. I had a feeling of uselessness, definitely. I was full of fear. I didn't realize how much fear I was full of. And then I was unhappy and couldn't seem to be of real help to others. Now, I thought if I could just get sober, man, my life would be better. But what happened is I got sober and all of these things were still true. <laughs> None of those were solved. I thought being sober, I could, um, that that would be taking care of this. And it absolutely didn't. Sober is not well. Um, if my focus is, is on just getting sober, man, then that just means I'm going to have to be willing to suffer well, to have a life of suffering with no way to medicate it, or I'll switch to some other addiction. So this issue is nothing to do with the lust and the acting out. Now, I have to get free from acting out in the lust so that I can move into the recovery. See, I can have sobriety without recovery, but I can't have recovery without sobriety. And so when I came through, I was probably sober five, six years, still suffering. I would have times where I would be doing well. But man, I was so judgmental and just so emotional and still just suffering. And I went through this work with my current sponsor and we came through this section of we agnostics. And I really believed that I didn't need it. And there was a couple of places I really liked it. Like I loved on the very first page where it, it told me to be doomed to a sexaholic death or to live on a spiritual basis were not always easy alternatives to face. Well, when I came into this program, I said, well, that sounds like a pretty easy alternative. I'll take the spiritual basis. But what I didn't realize that what I'd been using my whole life, my self's will, my ego, my pride, and, and myself trying to take care of me, which is in effect playing God, um, that that wasn't ready to go. I mean, it wasn't I inside, the little dentist inside wanted it to go because I wanted to do whatever it took. But that self-will would not go quietly. And it really took steps four through nine and the introduction of we agnostics. Now, when I came into the program, I would tell anybody, I don't need we agnostics because I have a very strong faith in God. And as I go through today, what I would hope that you would do is re replace the word faith. Anytime you hear the word faith, think about relying upon. What am I relying upon in this moment? If I have say I have faith in God, then I'm relying upon God. But if I'm off in my fear and anxiety trying to control and manage an outcome, if I look at that in that moment, really I'm relying upon self to take care of me again. Um, if I'm back in resentments and self-pity, you know, I'm back into trying to control and manage. I'm in self-delusion. I'm back in self. And if I'm in self, I'm relying upon self. So really what I had was a belief in God but I wasn't relying upon God, but I couldn't see it. And it took this chapter to tell me. On the next page on 45, it tells me that my human resources, like me, my thinking, my thoughts, um, are being controlled by this self. And it, it, it self that's trying to control it is full of fear. It's full of resentments. It's full of uh, self-delusion. And that's what I'm operating on and listening to it's feeding me false narratives. It's feeding me false realities. And I'm taking actions on those. And I'm hurting a lot of people around me because I think a lot of people are doing stuff to me. 
But it said our human resources is marshaled by the will, the very thing that needs to go. My real disease was not sufficient. It failed utterly because I have no power. So it tells me that lack of power was my dilemma. So what it's telling me is I need to find and connect to this power. I don't have that power. I always believed that I was pretty self-sufficient, but I wasn't. And we had to find or connect to the power which we could live. And it had to be a power greater than myself. Because in myself, that's why I'm in this program. But obviously, where and how to find this power. Well, I already believed when I read this, why I have that power. I trust God. I believe in God. Well, that's exactly what this book is about. Its main object is to enable me to find or to connect to this power, which means deflate my ego. So I can find this power greater than myself. And it says, which, I underline that, which will solve my problems. See, it doesn't say which will help me solve my problems. This is not something that I can be any part of. When I connect to the power, I'm no longer, now the power is doing all the work. I've been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. Everything is different. And my thinking is on a different level. My thinking is being intuition and inspiring. Now, the minute I go back into self, I'm back in the fear, back in the insanity, isolated, trying to control and manage. And I'm hurting those people around me. So I had to find this power, but I couldn't. And I didn't understand. You know, the first 42 pages of this book does talk about drinking, lusting, if we were to translate it, it does talk about the mental obsession that will convince me it's okay to take a drink because I'm suffering so bad inside that I need a drink. I need to take a drink of lust. But what I was so shocked is, and and we agnostics didn't teach me and show me or share with me about a higher power. That wasn't what, that wasn't the beauty of this section. The beauty of it was it showed me the power that I'm actually relying upon. That's what we agnostics showed me. So I would have argued, I'm not a we agnostic. I'm not an agnostic and I'm not an atheist. But I got to page 53 and it was just like, whoa, this is what really opened my eyes. It said in the top paragraph, logic is great stuff. We liked it. It's all I've ever used. It's what it's my willpower. We liked it. It is not by chance that we were given the power to, and you see the word reason is with a small r. Any place they capitalize in this book, they're talking about a power. They're talking about God, or they're talking about a power. They don't use here. When they talk about my reason that was given to me, but it was never meant to run my life. That's the problem, because I'm up here using my thoughts and my thinking to try and run my life instead of that spirit or letting God run my life. But it goes on to say down there that on the next paragraph down, it goes, When we became, so it happened somewhere along the way, when we became sexaholics, which means that I no longer could have the choice to not act out. I did not have the choice to not drink in lust, to not take those looks, to not fantasize and run fantasies. It was beyond, I couldn't, I could try and stop it, maybe for a little while, but I didn't have the ability. I didn't have a choice. That's why, especially when working with a sponsee and you feel so much shame after that, I say, shame indicates that you still believe that you have some choice, which would indicate that you have, you believe you have some power. And the sooner we can get to a place 
Um, can we, uh, yeah, we sooner get to a place that we are, that you understand that you have no power, you have no choice, that you're going to drink, the sooner that you have the freedom to let God do for you what you can't do for yourself. But we became sexaholics, and here it is. What was I crushed by? Not by lust, not by alcohol, not by drugs. I was crushed by self-imposed crisis, by a self-imposed crisis, because self is causing it. We could not postpone or evade. We had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God is everything or else he is nothing. Either your higher power is everything. In other words, I'm going to be all in, turn my life completely over and give complete control to this power or he's nothing. God either is or he isn't. What was my choice to be? It said, arrived at this point, we were squarely confronted with the question of faith. Now, remember, faith is what am I relying upon? There's two things I can rely upon. Self-centered fear, which is self-running the show, or God-centered love. There is no halfway. I heard a great story where God came to the man and said, can I give me the man giving the keys of his heart to God? And God looked and said, are these all of them? And the man said, yes, Lord, all but one. And God handed him back the keys and says, if you don't trust me with all, then you don't trust me at all. See, if I hold on to one thing, I can't come into this program and go, God, you take care of my higher power. You take care of this, the lust part, and I'll deal with all this over here. It doesn't work like that. I believe, at least in my experience, and I'm not saying what's right for anybody else, is I'm either all in or I have all the control. And if I have all the control, then all those things that were unmanageable by me are true. I'm right back there in the darkness, isolated, walking alone. But it says, arrived at this point, we were squarely confronted with a question of faith. See, I could no longer duck the issue because some of us have already walked far over the bridge of reason and they capitalize reason now. The reason they capitalize it because that's where I'm, that's my power I'm relying upon. That's what they're showing me here. Whoa. I'm like, okay, the bridge of reason towards the desired shore of faith. That desired shore of faith is that I'm going to step in and let God have all of me. The out, it said the outlines and the promise of the new land of being in that shore, being with other people that are recovering and recovered had brought luster to tired eyes and fresh courage to flagging spirits. And there were those that were on shore saying, come on. They reached out their friendly hands and stretched out in welcome. And here it is. Well, I, we were grateful that reason, capital R, self's will, running my life, had brought us so far in life. It did. It's taken care of me since I've been a little kid. I didn't, I didn't kill myself because it found ways to try and medicate all the pain I was in, all the fear I was in, all the suffering I was in. But somehow we couldn't quite step ashore. Perhaps we'd been leaning too heavily on capital R reason. That's why I can't. I've always, because I can't give up the control because first off, I don't know that God is really, when I first came in, he wasn't better than my lust. I even said that to God. I love God. God, you're just not better than my lust. I think God celebrated like, finally, you tell the truth. But what I've learned is not only is he better, but the peace and serenity, the joy, I don't need lust anymore. If I'm connected to the power, if I'm not, then I'm going to need it again. But somehow we couldn't quite step ashore. Perhaps we've been leaning too heavily on reason. And this is it. Well, this, that was natural. But let us think a little more closely without knowing it. So I didn't know this. I couldn't even see it. I was blind to it. Had we not been brought to where we stood by a certain kind of faith? Yes. 
I'd been relying on the faith of self to take care of me my whole life. I didn't know it I didn't, without knowing it. And I believed in God and I would confess or, or say that I believed. I had faith in God and I truly believed that. But what I couldn't see is how insidious and blinding and that, that um, self was operating in the background and it's running all these messages. And those messages I'm listening to are, you're not enough. You're not good enough. Look at how you failed. And it was constantly beating me up at the same time. It's wanting to be exalted and praised. It hey, was Dennis, Yeah. Brief, brief interruption. I, I had a couple of messages from our international folks asking if you could speak just a little bit slower. Yes. Thank <laughs> you. Sorry. If I will do that. And I'm, and I will slow down. I apologize. Thank you for letting me know that. So on pack 54, we did not, it said, um, or did we not believe in our own reasoning, small r? Yes. Did we not have confidence in our ability to think? Yes. Was that, what was that but a sort of faith? So I'm putting my faith, I'm relying upon something. And this is what's defeating me. And and then they come out and finally say it for what it is. Yes, we had been faithful, objectively, which is miserably faithful to the God of reason. There it is. There's my God. That's why when you get into the third step, it says we have to quit playing God. Playing God, what it really is saying is I have to quit relying upon self because self is not ever able to um, take care of me, to run my life. It's not, it's not intended to. And when self is in play, I'm going to be selfish and self-centered and self-seeking. I'm going to need everybody around me now to do or act or be a certain way. So I'm okay. I'm going to try and fill that God void with people, especially my wife. You know, she, she can't be my God. I, she can't fill that void. But if I'm in self, everybody around me is to try and fill that void. And I will go to any lengths so that I can be okay. And it's so in the in this, and it says right here on page 55, we finally saw that faith in some kind of God was part of our makeup, just as much as the feeling we have for a friend. Sometimes we had to search fearlessly. There's going to be steps four through nine. But he was there. He was much as a fact as we were. We found the great reality, this loving God deep down within us. He's not outside of me. See, I believe, and in the last analysis, only there that we may be found. God is with me always and loves me. He was with me as I acted out with all those people and loved me, not punishing me, just waiting. But what I found is my higher power won't override my free will. Now, my self's will has no problem overriding God's will because it wants to be in control. It wants to maintain. But the reason I'm suffering is because I'm trying to run my life and it doesn't work. That's the recovery part of the process. Um, When I, I'm going to talk a little bit about, because then the book goes into step three and step three has nothing to do with lust or acting out. It has everything to do with, it wants to show me what this self looks like now. When I fall back into self, I'm back into my agnosticism. God's not running the show. 
God doesn't punish me for that, but he's just right there with all this power waiting to crush down everything. And I'll slow down. Thank you. Uh, crush down what's defeating me. And it's that self. If you think about it, when we go into the third step, we don't pray, God, I offer my lust to thee. Relieve me of the bondage of lust. That's not what we're saying. The third step shows us. The third step shows us that it's not the problem. That's just the medication. So we get on to page 60, and here's where it starts on to the third step. And that's where we're going to turn our will in our life. The original manuscript I've heard had our thoughts and our actions, but they changed it. Dennis. What? Five minutes. Oh, wow. Okay. I can't do it. I'll, I'll wrap it up then. But I want you just to see real quick what self looks like. The first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self's will, we put an apostrophe S there, can hardly be a success. Because I'm in self, I'm always on the basis, I'm always in collision with something or somebody. It goes on to tell me that selfishness and self-centered, that's this self's will, we think is the root of our trouble. A root feeds a plant. When self is running, here's what it feeds me, because it says, driven by. A hundred forms of fear, a hundred forms of self-delusion, a hundred forms of self-seeking. That's what I'm suffering from. That's what I'm in so much pain around. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. They arise out of this self. And the sexaholic is an extreme example of self's will run riot. Though he usually doesn't think so. It's not that he doesn't think so. He doesn't see it. So above everything, we sexaholics must be rid of this self. We must, or it kills us. And here it is. God makes that possible. I can't deflate self. But I'm telling you, the process that I went through, and I wish I had more time, is going through steps four through nine thoroughly where I wrote out and I could start to see self in its entirety. I was shocked. Um, when I went through and wrote out the resentments, what they did, then the... Um, Self-esteem, we ask questions like, you know, what do I think about me in the thinking? What do I need to be okay? What do I need for others to think of me to be okay? And all of a sudden, we start being able to see very thoroughly, whoa, this self is running the show. It's defeating me. And when we get done doing all of our prayer work, where all of what we thought all these people did to us is completely gone, it's been erased by God's hand. Then I can go in and ask God to show me my mistakes. And as I write those down, and we have we have uh, parts of it that we write so that we can see self specifically. When we go through that fifth step and we start looking at that, I thought, oh my gosh, one of my biggest defects, and since we don't have time, I'll just tell you the main one, was the victim mentality. I believe through self-delusion that what these people were doing, they were doing to me. I would take what they said or did and twist that around in belief. And I believed it, the insanity. And what would happen is is that I would think they're doing something to me. And from that false belief, false narrative, I would take actions against them. And all of those things I did, I I could just see my mistakes that I've made toward others. And I thought, these people were not my perpetrators. They were my victims. And now I can see all these defects that self is causing. I have a great need to take those into six and seven and say, God, I am ready for you to remove these defects of character. And then 10, I get to continue to watch for when self is showing up. When it says continue to watch, 
for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear, those are the manifestations of self. I used to try and intellectually watch for those. I'd be so deep in resentment and, and fear by the time I recognize it, I've already been causing harm. Now, I, if I'm living in the spirit, I get to live in the spirit and the connection where I'm having a different system of thought than not the false narratives because I'm blinding my will. I'm giving it to God. I can see the moment that shifts. I can detect it in my spirit, not my intellect. We and, got okay. All right. I'll, I'll close up. So it says when these crop up, those little things that are cropping up, man, they're like a little plant that's just coming alive. They have, they're at their weakest. And when they're at their weakest, and if I'll turn and use my tent step, I'm telling you, God crushes that. And my thinking changes. And uh, we could do another whole thing on exactly what that 10th and 11th step looks like. But I'll close up here. Thank you for being here. This helps me stay sober. And I hope that just hearing this will give somebody that God would use that to help another person. God bless. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you, Dennis. Thanks, Dennis. Yeah, Luke, sexaholic. Uh, gosh, really appreciated that, Dennis. Um, I just wanted to say, I don't have a question or anything. I just wanted to say, uh, you know, I, I see today the purpose of the steps as, as getting out of self, right? And we can only do that with a higher power, with God in the center instead of self. And uh, boy, you just nailed it for me today. I mean, um, I, uh, I loved it. Um, and, uh, you know, I just... Uh, I'm really grateful to be walking this uh, path with people who uh, have this experience and, um, and it's, uh, <laughs> and it's working for them and changing their lives. like it changed mine. Um, the other thing was um, the experience with God, you know, I grew up in a faith Christian, um, believed in God all my life. And my experience was identical to yours as well. You know, a self reason, um, was running the show um, all through that time. And it wasn't until I realized that and um, and started really putting God in the center that things started changing. So really appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you, Luke. Appreciate it. Thanks, you. Luke. Kathy, I see your hand up. Yes, um, Kathy says, I'd just like to say two things that I've taken away from you, Sarah Dennis. Um you said that your wife cannot be a god or fill your void, but if you're in a self, you'll go to any things to fill that void. Well, that's me. I don't have a husband, but I do have friends, and my sponsor set me the task of journaling on why I use WhatsApp as my god, which is basically filling that void. And um, that's what I'm going to take away from you, Sarah. And also, um, you said something else which I can't now remember because my head's got in that concept. But you give me some useful tools to take away using my actual program. And I do appreciate that they get me to self as 439. That's what I'm undertaking at the moment. Thank you. Perfect. That's awesome, Kathy. Thank you, sister. I really enjoy fellowshipping with you in this program. Ryan. Dennis, I appreciate your share, man. Um, I, I 100% resonated with the self versus a genuine faith expression. I'm really kind of wrestling with that right now. So I don't know if you could speak to uh, what you do to kind of cultivate in your own life, that connection with the spirit, you know, uh, in the program. Yes. But also just in your own like meditations and, and so forth. Um, just cause that line is so brave for me. And I, I actually work 
in a, in a spiritual organization and, and lead people in that. And yet, like you said, that, that self-will and ego and the, and the blurriness of what that looks like, uh, I'm hitting that like a wall in my life right now. So any, any other insight would be great. Thank you so much for sure. Yeah. I will just say that the most powerful is working with others that God just, you know, it's like if we're a reservoir and God pours into us and there's no outlet, then it's going to stagnate. But if we have that outlet and it pours through, we get to stay healthy and stay close to God. Um, in the beginning, there's an awesome thing. It's called every temptation is an invitation to turn to God. So we get lots of practice. Every time a thought or I see something that my addict wants, if in that second, you know, there's a great span of one second. And in that second, I'll turn to God and say, God, I'm powerless and I need your power. Please lend me your power just for today. A hundred percent of the time he will flood in. I'll feel comfort. I, the, the temptation will go away and my thinking will be like, I really don't want this in my life. If I'm in my suffering, I do want that. And if I do continue to do that, those temptations will get further and further apart. But today for me, if I feel a temptation of lust, then I know I have missed some resentment or some fear. So if I have a temptation, I go, God, what's going on in me? And I listen and God will share, oh, you've got that, you've got a little resentment towards your wife. And I'm like, oh man, that was a little resentment. But any type of, um, I'm back in self. If if I can catch it when it crops up, I'll never experience lust. So if I'm experiencing lust and I do, then I know that um, that I may be holding on to something. Remember, resentment is unforgiveness. And if I'm holding on to that, I'm going to lust. You know, if a sponsee calls and he says, oh, man, I'm really lusting. I say, well, what's the resentment? Well, it's this. And I say, well, pray for that person. If they don't want to pray for the person, there's no third option right? You get to work your program. You got to get back out of self and you get to start being a service and get out of your head because that's where if I live in my head, I'm a dead man. If I live in my spirit, then my thinking and everything is changed. Um, but I do prayer walks. I do a meditation where there's prayer and meditation in the 11th step. Prayer is that I ask God. Meditation is that I listen. And the beautiful practice we get four through nine that's where the real action starts i don't do any step work with i'm going to think of people to write on my resentment list i say okay god i'm ready and i put my pen down i'll take the next step and god will just start i mean you can't write fast enough <laughs> asking the questions about um you know what do i think about me or what was my parts it all has to be done in prayer see there is no and i learned this from my sponsor there's no amen at the end of the third step prayer we don't say it until the seventh step. So all of that work is practice and time with God. It's between the sponsee and God. Um, the sponsor is, I'm not really a part of that other than helping them see things as they as they come up. But that's between them and God. And every sponsee's journey through that is different. There's not a cookie cutter, but it's their time to find a quiet place, go to God and let God speak and write their pens for them. Man, if they're trying to do it intellectually, then self is writing that. And so that's one thing is that we go into the four step. That's their time to be with God. Pass. 
Thank you for a great question. And thank you, thank very you much. so much, Dennis. You're welcome, Ryan. Glad to hear you. I'm glad you're here, brother. Luke D. Hi, Dennis. Thank you so much for your share. Hi, Luke. If I heard well, what's, what uh, touched me a lot was that I can have faith in God, but not reliant, not relying on him. Faith seems to be like an intellectual or a rational thing, maybe sentimental, also a mixed a mixture of it, but it doesn't mean that I'm relying on him. Yes. I can have faith in the King of Belgium, yeah, or in the President of the United States, but I don't have to rely on him. So it's a very different thing to rely on him. And that's, I guess, his spirituality. Uh, so that wasn't an I. If, if that's what you meant, it's an eye-opener to, 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 to split it like that. And then my question would be, do you, in your experience, in your life, do you see that you're, you just mentioned prayer and meditation? Thank you so much, Hamed. That it has changed over time? And what way is your prayer and meditation changed? Has it changed? Thank you. Yeah, that's a great question. And I want to say that I didn't change it. God changes it. When 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 I rely upon God completely, He's doing all of it. I, I can't connect and connect to God. Um, like it says, you know that that we have to be rid of this selfishness, or else, like in other words, it's going to kill us. God makes that possible. So everything has to be with Him. I, you know, in every day, like if there's something coming up. And I'm in the present. God is in the present moment. And all of a sudden, I'll find myself off in the future. The minute I leave the present moment, I'm in danger. Um, I can prepare for what's coming up, but I don't try and control and manage the outcome. Because then I'm again trying to run it. Because God knows what's best for me. And when I leave it in his hands, it turns out way better. Like what I'm thinking I'm wanting, and that door gets closed. And then what winds up happening when the next door opens up, I'm like, whoa, had what I was wanting, I got, this couldn't have happened. I have to leave it in God's hands. Um, yeah, so it is truly about my faith is my reliance upon. I have a belief in God. And here in the page 20 of the white book, it says it so amazingly. It said, I didn't realize that the essence of being human is to have free choice. God doesn't want to remove from me the possibility of falling. He wants me to have the freedom to choose not to fall. I had been praying self-righteously all along. Please, God, take it away. Not realizing my inner heart was piteously whining, so I won't have to give it up. There was a belief in God without surrender. That belief availed nothing. I had never died to lust. And when, when, when we connect to that power, and the page 85 is a beautiful place, and I'm not going to go into it today because it's. I want to be able to let everybody have a chance. But we're no longer, it's like it just comes. Like we're, it's not any effort on my part. I just surrender and connect to the power. Now, on page 64, when we get ready to work that four step, that does tell me why I'm not connected to the power. It said that though our decision, which was to quit playing God, I took my third step. I'm going to turn my will and my life over to care of God, was a vital and crucial step. And here's the key words. It could have little permanent effect. Like I will not stay sober, 
unless it wants followed by a strenuous effort, which is four through nine, and to be rid of the things in ourselves which have been blocking us. Our lust was but a symptom. So if I don't do steps four through nine, I'm not going to, that's what connects me to the power. We call it the spiritual program of action. That's what connects me to the power, not any intent on my part. So that's what I had to say about that, Luke. Thank you so much. And Luke, thank you for all your service you do for our fellowship. It's absolutely much appreciated, brother. Thank you, Dennis. And thank you, Luke. And I've got Christine iPhone. Thank you. Hi, Dennis. I just want to thank you for sharing. I love what you shared about forgiveness, um, resentment being unforgiveness. Um, when I'm in unforgiveness, I'm in bondage. And there's a scripture actually that goes with that. <laughs> um, but I just wanted to ask you, um, when what do you do when you are really struggling with um to forgive someone do you, is there a prayer that you pray or like if you're really having a hard time like um forgiving people that may continually like even when you tell them like what hurts you they continue to do the same behavior over and over again how do you um let go of that and forgive Wow, that's really powerful. And that and that is a part of my step work out of I think the bottom of page 67, where we have the prayer work and the four step is so vital. What happens as we go through the process is we start seeing that these people really aren't doing something to me. They're just sick people. And the prayer work says that God, help me to see, help me to see so-and-so is perhaps a spiritually sick person just like me, because I'm disconnected. I'm and I'll send this prayer to you, Christina. And God, help me to show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience I would cheerfully grant a sick friend in the hospital. I, we think about, have you ever been to the hospital where there's a sick and dying person? You're holding their hand. And man, any little petty things that were going on aren't going to matter at that moment. So each person, as we go through the prayer work that we have on a resentment list, we put them in that bed and we stand there with them. And we have to ask ourselves, do I want mercy or justice from God for myself? Well, mercy. Well, I can't have mercy for me and justice for everybody else. I have to have mercy for all or justice for all. So as I go through that prayer work, I do those prayers. And when we say show them, we're not talking about in our heart. We're talking about actually showing people tolerance, pity, and patience. And the more we connect to the power, the more we see that. We ask God, Give them everything I would ask for myself, abundant health, prosperity, and happiness, and bless them with love and joy and peace and patience, kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And God, wherever they're at, I pray for the, I pray for your presence and your power to enter into their hearts so thy will be done all the days of their life. Because a prayer for them is really a prayer for me. Right? We don't forgive others because they deserve forgiveness. We forgive others because we deserve peace. And so when we do the prayer work and we've, and I had like 257, what winds up happening later after I've gone through all that prayer work, I can be with somebody with my wife and I feel like, whoa, and I get up and I just start the prayer. I don't even have to go through everything I just prayed and boom, I'm shot back to the fourth dimension, connected to the power immediately. 
and I realize she's just suffering or this person is just suffering and my thinking changes. So if I have a resentment for somebody that I can't get past, remember that self's holding on to that. And how I learned about that unforgiveness, I took a prayer walk one time and I had just done my 10th step. And I kind of knew what resentment was. And I said, now this is the beautiful thing about when you connect with God as you're doing the work. Ask God a question and then just listen. And I was, I prayed and I was taking a walk, no podcast. God, what is resentment? And I just listen and I walk and all of a sudden in my spirit on forgiveness, I'm like, whoa, I never thought of it like that. So the next time you have a question, ask your, ask God first and then your sponsor second. God will, will lay on your heart what he would want you to know about that. And that's where I want to live. I don't always but that's where I want to live. Thanks. Thanks, Dennis. And thanks, Christine, for the question. We just have a few more minutes, but I'd like to open up it for folks with fewer than 30 days of sobriety If for any questions. There's one in the chat now, say. Can you read that for us, Kathy? Yes, it says, I'm ether, sex alcoholic, sober for the day only. I often can't concentrate at the moment. I find myself either sad about the past, how life has passed, and the amount of losses I lost, or thinking about the future. From your experience, how do you stay focused in the moment? Well, well, that's recovery right there, is to be able to practice that. Um, I don't remember where it's at, and I don't want to try and find it. But here's here's what it says on page 86, which is, is part of... Um, Step 11, it says, we're often surprised how the right answers come after we have tried for a while. We used we used to be, what used to be the hunch or occasional inspiration gradually becomes a working part of the mind. And nevertheless, we find that our thinking will, as time passes, be more on the plane of inspiration. We come to rely upon it. You see, it's for a while, gradually, and as time passes. When it says practicing the principles of this program, that's exactly what we're doing. Do I stay in the sunlight of spirit perfectly, permanently? No. I get off into self. But hopefully, the more I'm practicing this, the more automatic it becomes. And so it really is about um, doing the step work, doing 10 steps every day. Like we have a, a WhatsApp group where we send in our, you know, if a thought comes to mind, hey, I just spotted fear. I ask God to remove it, turning my thoughts to someone I can help. The middle part is make amends quickly if I've harmed anybody, but usually if I can keep my mouth closed, I'm not harming people. But um, so it, it's about practicing. It's about doing nightly inventories. It's about doing the work. The big biggest one for me was studying the traditions and then practicing the traditions. All the traditions are for one thing to deflate my ego, to constantly sacrifice what I'm wanting, to sacrifice my personal ambitions for the common good. So I start living out of that. So the, the, the steps are vital, but I think the traditions are very vital for emotional sobriety. Pass. Thank you very much. Um, Joey. Hi, Dennis. Hi, my name is Joey. I'm a sexaholic. Hey, Joey. Hi, Dennis. Thanks for your uh, share. I wanted to add on to the question um, uh, that was asked. I forgot by who the lady who spoke before. Um, regarding if somebody's um, constantly hurting you, and yeah, I definitely relate with that sick man prayer. 
you know, uh, in the hospital bed, holding their hand, how those little things don't really make so much of a difference. And, you know, all that sympathy and the mercy. If I'm merciful, God will be merciful to me. I get that. But what about active, active um, healing if it's ongoing? I just, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm praying to God, but at the same time, is there something else that I need to do to put a stop to this? Because it's until now, until I started my program, I was basically giving in. I was like completely controlled by it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm talking about my wife in this particular case where she, I bas- she basically, uh, you know, used sex, for example, indirectly, you know um to control and so on and i wanted to put a stop to that so basically is there something else that i can actively do besides the sick man prayer what you're what you're really in my mind and i'm also in in a in a non-program is really you're talking about codependency there and i'm like i'm a codependent because i don't i won't even tell the truth about my own heart so that I don't upset her, so she doesn't leave me, so my pe- friends around me don't leave me. I'm so codependent. And what the Anon programs helps us with is the ability to start telling the truth and not being like I'm being dishonest if I'm not telling the truth in my heart. But but why am I why am I afraid to tell the truth in my heart? Well, because I don't want them to leave me. Well, do you see how I'm still trying to control and manage? That's still self-operating. So if you're actually being harmed in some way, you get to set boundaries. Boundaries are not there to control others. Boundaries are there to take care of ourselves. So I'm not sure if you mean physically or or what, but what I find is most of the people around me that are hurting me are retaliating because I'm acting out of some self's will. And I love Dr. Bob's thing. This is a plaque on his death. And listen, this man was connected to the power. Perpetual quietness of heart. It is to have no trouble. It is never to be fretted or vexed, irritable or sore, to wonder at nothing that is done to me, to feel nothing done against me. It is to be at rest when nobody praises me. And when I am blamed or despised, to have a blessed home in myself where I can go in and shut the door and kneel to my father in secret and be at peace as in a deep sea of calmness when all around and about is seeming trouble. Hard times in program when I'm in the power, I everything is a gift. And when I connect to the power and I'm going through what I would consider a valley, there's a gift in that. And if I can trust God through that process, it may not be uncomfortable, but there is a gift in it. So, and I don't know without talking to you more, Joey, to the extent of what you're going, I'm just trying to fill in. So, but I would be glad to talk to you uh, after this, you know, at some other point. Outside this meeting, pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dennis. I appreciate it. You're welcome. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.